my podcasts. Hi, Mom. How are you? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, the other thing is back on the table, there's directions to the barn dance. Uh, and that is going to be an awesome time out in Poolsville. Okay, kind of near Gaithersburg. Um, basically, you take River Road out a bunch of miles and just keep going and uh, look for a barn and a big bonfire and uh, an old guy calling the square dance. That's what we're going to be. Okay, so hopefully you guys can do that. It's going to be great. This is a great thing to invite somebody to. Um, I mean, come on, it's going to be a hoedown barn, barn dance. So wear a lot of flannel. Get your cowboy hat out if you got one. If you don't, that's okay. Get a bandana. Um, we're going to be meeting at parking lot one near the tennis court, 6.30 p.m. Um, so this would be great. This is good. Okay. Um, tonight, we're doing another parable on prayer. Last week, we talked about um, the issue of prayer and being persistent and being bold and asking um, and continuing to ask. This week, it's probably a, it's the prayer that is really the most important prayer that you could ever ask God. It's the prayer for God to have mercy on you. Okay, and uh, so that's what we're going to look at tonight. But before we go into that, um, uh, some of you know that I kind of like to go to Starbucks and drink some coffee. I drink too much of it, and. There's always music playing at Starbucks, and um, they usually they try to they try to get your money any way they can. You know, so they they have CDs there, and uh, usually on the system it's whatever CD that they have. There there might be a multiple, but they've been playing a lot of old John Lennon recently, and uh, you know, of course, John Lennon. For those of you that don't know, he was in the Beatles. Okay, and uh, after the Beatles, he also had a uh, you know, he did his own music as well. And you might be familiar with one of his probably most popular songs outside of the Beatles, and that was Imagine. And uh, he said this, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for, for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. You know, really the point of that song, ultimately for Lenin and for really a lot of people in our society is that they believe that if there wasn't any religions, that the world would be a better place. That if there wasn't Christianity, which is saying you need to believe, you need to believe in Jesus or Islam promoting Muhammad, okay, and the one true faith. If there, if there wasn't religion in the world, there would be peace. And this is really a popular belief in our culture. Um, and especially since 9-11. Because people really, in our culture, in American culture, really believe that the reason why 9-11 had, happened was because there's radical fundamentalists in religion. And they don't necessarily divide Muslim, Christian, Judaism, or whatever sect or cult. They just say, whenever you believe something absolutely, that's wrong. Okay, because that causes... You think you're better than the other people. 
And then ultimately that leads to hatred. And then ultimately that leads to violence. And ultimately that leads to war. In fact, I remember watching a Donahue. Do you guys even remember Donahue? He was like a talk show guy that would get everybody in an argument. Okay. And I remember shortly after 9-11. How old were you guys in 9-11? Eighth grade. Yeah, like eighth grade. Okay. So I remember shortly after. I still have the VCR of this show. We should all watch it. Um, it's fascinating, but it has like a bunch of Christians and some other guys on there and they're talking about 9-11 and basically the whole crowd was yelling, was just angry that somebody could believe in absolute truth after 9-11. And so, you know, Lenin, before this ever happened, he's kind of, he's kind of uh, putting that idea out there that, um, that religion is and fundamentalist religion or absolute truth religion is really the cause of oppression for people. And so the world would be a better place if there was no religion. Okay, that's what he believes. Um, and, you know, in some ways he's right. If you look at church history, you know, Christians have not always done the right things. They've taken up the sword. You know, they've the Crusades. If you ever want to study a black eye in church history, just look at the Crusades. Okay, where they said, "Let's go back to Jerusalem and take it captive, and let's kill people and and establish, you know, basically the Holy Land into Christian hands again." Nowhere in the Bible did Jesus ever say, "Pick up the sword." Okay, so so one of the things, you know, whenever you hear people talk about the church and church history and the black eye of things like the Crusades, always go back to the Bible and say, Jesus never said to do that. You know, people people are sinners and people failed and they were into power trips. Okay, Um, but, um, you know, ultimately, though, in a lot of places, the reason why you have people like John Lennon singing songs like this is probably because. They've been around people who have, Christians who have not loved people. They've been around Christians or the church where they haven't, they haven't been compassionate. Where they haven't really been a servant or had a servant's heart. And, you know, to some extent, he's right. In a lot of ways, that's me. A lot of ways, that's the church. But as you look at church history, from about 0 AD, okay, when, or after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, to 300 AD, you know, the church was persecuted. Uh, it wasn't in power. It was being persecuted for what they believed in the Roman um, culture. But the, the glory of it was is that they laid down their lives. And so in hard times and oppressed times and through the, the plagues and everything, Christians were the ones that really loved people. And the pagan folks around them said, what kind, of, what kind of God do you have? We want that God. And to some extent, that's how the church grew because Christians served people and they sacrificed and they loved people and, and, they, and they held high their Lord and Savior and people were attracted to that and people came to Christ through that. And so... Tonight, as we think about this passage, we're giving we're given really two pictures here. Uh, we're given the picture of a Pharisee, a self-righteous person, who thinks that they have it all together, and they think that they have it all together with God, and they think that they're on God's good side. And in fact, the audience who's listening to Jesus, they would think that too. And then we have this poor tax collector who is really the dregs of society, a hated person, 
and a person that everyone knew was a cheat and a, basically a mob, a mob gangster, okay, who was in cahoots with the Romans. And it was the tax collector who was actually the one who was justified before the Lord. So we're going to look at this story, um, but let me read it. I haven't even read it yet. Okay, here we go. Luke 18, 9-14. Hear God's Word. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank You that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay. Hearing of God's Word. So, the point of this parable really gets at the heart of what the Bible is all about. It really gets at the heart of what uh, the Gospel is all about. And it's opposite of what the world thinks. Okay, And the world basically thinks you are justified before God by what you do. Okay, By your obedience. That's how you're justified before God. I mean, if you went up to a person and, and you were to ask them like around this campus... Now, a lot of people here on this campus in particular, probably don't even believe... They don't even believe in a heaven, so to speak. I mean, just the concept. But if you found a person who did actually believe in a heaven, if you, you asked them, like, you know, if you were to stand... If you were to die and to stand at the pearly gates and God were to ask you, why should I let you in? Most people say, well, because I've been a good person, because I've gone to church, because I've prayed, because I've... I've, you know, loved my family well. I haven't committed the big sins. You know, I haven't killed anybody. I mean, most people say these are the things. Um, it's the good things that they do. They've been moral. They've been disciplined. Um, and it's kind of like God is there and He holds the scales, okay? And they kind of believe it's like a plus and minus system. As long as you do more good things, you know, give to charity and so forth, uh, then you do bad things, you're, you're going to get in. You know, the scales are going to be tipped in your favor. At the end of time, you're going to get in. I mean, I think that that is really the view that most people have. Most people, even in the Bible Belt in the South, um, you know, socially, that's what they believe about God. That Christianity is really just an ethics. It's about, it's like a moral code book. Like, you know, um, we just obey these things and will be blessed, and God will bring us to heaven. I mean, that's kind of the idea. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Gospel is all about. In fact, the Gospel is really all about the fact that you can't keep it <laughs> and that another one has kept it for you. Okay, and so we'll dive into that. But the Bible is not a moral code book, although it has lots of laws and it shows us the will of God and it shows us the law and it shows us how to glorify God. But if we think that we can do any of that and appease God ourselves, then we're fooling ourselves. And the Bible is really an, a redemptive story. It's really about 
God rescuing us because we're dead in our sins and we can't do it. And so, we're going to just kind of split this up and ask this big question, how do we get right with God? I mean, this is the fundamental question of life. How do we get right with God? And the first thing is the religious answer, okay? Um, And I've kind of already talked about that. But the religious answer is that we earn it. We earn our righteousness by law-keeping. This was the mindset of the Pharisee. Um, This is really what they believed. And if you go through the New Testament and the Gospels, you'll see the Pharisees on lots of the pages. Okay, and so let me just talk about what who they were. The definition is um, they were a religious sect of Judaism. Okay, they were somewhat of a layman's fellowship. Okay, so there would be maybe in your synagogue a bunch of Pharisees that were part of that synagogue, and they particularly were interested in in uh, the law and also understanding the law and um, they were very concerned about their uh, standing before God and being justified before God. And the ESV talks about this. They were experts in theological matters that the Torah or the law raised. They interpreted the law of Moses. And here's what they did a lot. They built extra-biblical decrees over top of the law. So not just the Ten Commandments, but they had all kinds of laws that they built over top of those Ten Commandments to try to keep them in a certain way. Um, and so, as we look through the New Testament, Jesus really has His biggest arguments with these guys. And He rebukes them time and time again. And uh, as you look through there, you'll see different things um, that, they, that they talk about. But Paul kind of summarizes what they were all about in his testimony in Philippians 3. So I just want to read some of that. Here's what Paul said, because he was a leading Pharisee. He was a young gun who was rising above his peers. Okay, And he thought he had God's law figured out, and he thought he kept it. Here's what he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, what he means is law-keeping, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, uh, under the law, blameless. This was his pedigree. It's like his family, who he, who he was with, what tribe he was connected to. All of these things, he, he talks about confidence, confidence in the flesh. And, and so, as you read through the New Testament, here's, here's really what Jesus finds with the Pharisees. He severely rebukes them a lot of places. He talks about how they love to be seen by men. They love the important places in the banquet hall to be seen. They're not known as humble people. (laughs) They're known as having the best seats in the synagogue. They built all these laws in order to really burden other people. They tithe the weeds in their backyard. It says... At one point, Jesus says to them, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These extra-biblical things that they did, they thought that they were earning a righteousness. They looked at outside performance. Um, In Luke 11, it talks about Jesus calls them to clean the inside of the cup, not the outside of the cup. That's what they like to do. And so as harsh as criticism were for these guys, 
And especially because they loaded all these laws on other people and they made other people feel guilty. And so, as we look at this Pharisee standing here at the temple, you know, here's what he prays. And, and you can see these ideas in his prayer. If you look at verse 11, God, he says, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And so, the first thing is he, he rejoices in what he doesn't do. He rejoices in the fact that he's not like these other sinner people, okay? You know, he doesn't, you know, he, he, uh, he doesn't steal, okay? Uh, he, he doesn't have sex outside of marriage, okay? He is not, he is, he is not like this tax collector, okay? He's not being unjust. Uh, and a lot of times people, when they think of Christianity, they kind of think about us, and we may even think of our own self like this, that I'm righteous before God because of what I don't do. I don't sleep around, you know, or I don't struggle with this or that sin that everybody else here in College Park is struggling with. And we can pride ourselves and think, oh, we've got it together because of that. I don't do the things that these people do, therefore I am, I am good or I am righteous. It's easy to think that. But that's not what the Gospel says. He also rejoices in what He does. So He rejoices in what He doesn't do and He rejoices in what He does. Verse 12, Here's what I do, God. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And so, uh, we could mention also, he's here in the temple. He's praying. He's doing all of these religious things. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting about the fact that they twice they fast twice a week is in the Old Testament, they were only called to fast once a year. Probably for the Day of Atonement. Okay? Once a year. Instead, you see what they've done is they've kind of they've taken that command and they've they've added a lot to it. Like now they're fasting about 104 times a week or a year. Okay, you know they've they've upped the ante, so to speak. Um, and this is what they would do. Um, and Paul says again in Galatians about our justification. He says this. He says it's it's not circumcision or uncircumcision but it's faith working its way by love. That the Jews and the Pharisees were all about the outward. They were all about circumcision or, or these things that they could do to appease God. And Paul says there, no, it's about, it's about faith. It's about faith. But this is where he was. He exalted himself. He was blind to his own sin. And he just looked down his nose at other people. You know, and so the question is, when you think about a person like John Lennon, and I don't know his background, maybe some of you guys have read some of his biography, but I'm assuming that at some point he was probably very hurt by the church or he, maybe there was Christians in his life um, that didn't live out, maybe lived this way. Maybe we're very pharisaical. Maybe we're people that were just self-righteous. And they look down their nose at everybody. And uh, people reject that. They leave the church for things like that. They say, if that's your God, and if that's how you behave, that's how you treat other people, I don't want anything to do with it. And again, we have to go back to Jesus. We have to go back to the New Testament and to see how Jesus really lived. Leon Morris, his commentator, he said this, the Pharisee was concerned 
with what one does. Jesus is concerned with who one is. Who are you? Who are you deep inside? Is it just about what you've done or have you been made new? Have you been renewed by Jesus and His righteousness and His blood? That's what the religious do. And as I apply this too, though, I want to talk another, I want to talk also about in our culture, people, this idea of building a righteousness is something that all of us do. Even unbelievers do this. They try to justify themselves. They might not even believe in God, but they try to justify themselves before other people. And uh, it might be things like your career, success in your career. People live for that. That's what they base their really their self-salvation in. If I can just get that job or if I can accomplish the American dream, I'll be somebody. Their status in society. Um, maybe it's your, your major, you know, just being an engineer or being, um, going into medicine or going into law school or something like that. That can become your righteousness that you rely on. Okay? Um, you can have job righteousness. <laughs> you can look down on everybody else, you know? Uh, you can have sports talent righteousness. Like if you're athletic and you do pretty good, you can really get into that. And uh, that can become your identity. You can have sports team righteousness. Okay? Redskins, Ravens, Orioles, we're humble. Um, we don't have we don't have any we don't have any hope. Help us. Um, we but seriously we can I lived in Oklahoma for a while and listening to talk radio, sports talk radio in Oklahoma about like the Sooners and everything, this is unbelievable. People lived and died on how the Sooners or the Cowboys did out there. And, uh, you know, it was just interesting to, to listen listen and to hear that. And uh, you can get... And I know that Elvis knows about this from being in Alabama, okay? Um, but, like, when you live in some of these cultures, like where college football is life, it is amazing how people get into that. They'll be depressed for a week if they lose. You know, if they if they have... If they think they're going to win the national championship and they're like 10 and 0 and then they lose, you know, to like Kansas or something like that, people are devastated. Okay, why? Because it shows what their real hope is. Okay, and it's good to have a team. And but if if you're like depressed for for a week after that, that's probably a little overdoing it. And uh, Tim Tim Keller he talks about how we can make these idols inordinate desires, and so we almost make them like a god. Um, some of you can be making a god of your fantasy football team. You can have fantasy football righteousness. I don't. I don't have that because my I only have three wins this year. Um, you can have an MMORG game righteousness. Can anybody tell me what I just said? Did I say it wrong? What is it? Can you can you can you tell me that acronym? Okay, does anybody know what those are? Okay, all right, a few of you. But anyway, I mean, these are these are big things that are going on. In fact, um, people get people get into these things. Like, I mean, is World of Warcraft considered that or no? Okay, World of Warcraft. Um, I mean, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. In fact, if you want to see a very interesting documentary about the MMORPGs, it's called Second Skin. Okay. 
Very interesting. But on there, it follows these guys who live in this house, these bachelors. And some of them would get home from work on a Friday afternoon. They would log on and they would not sleep the whole weekend. They would go out and get all of their stuff in a, in a, in a cooler right next to them like for the food for the weekend. And they would be on the entire time playing. Okay? Uh, to some extent, I don't want to just like say, oh, that's, that's horrible. But we can do this with any kind of thing. But it, there was an interesting thing in this um, documentary. But people are into this so much that they will pay money for people in Asia to work on their care, to buy, to buy pieces so that their avatar can be um, better and more powerful and have more weapons and be cooler. And they don't have to put in the time for it because they can buy it from someone who's doing this in Asia, okay? Or in some third, or some other country, okay? Literally, they'll pay money just to make their avatar better. Why? Because they, because it's it's a form of righteousness to some extent. We want to be like that. Okay, enough of that. But the question is, fill in the blank. What, like, what are you giving your life to? Where is your righteousness found? Is your identity found in what Jesus has done? Or is it in all the stuff of creation? Even games, okay, sports, careers, talents, looks... Romance, boyfriend, girlfriend, what is it? What are you trusting? Where's your righteousness coming from? The gospel has an answer. This is this is the second thing. How are we made righteous? How are we made righteous? And that's the gospel answer, and that's the picture of the tax collector. And here is the least expected person. Okay, everybody in the crowd is thinking, Oh, the fair you know, who's gonna go home justify Jesus? Oh, it's the Pharisee. I mean, these are the religious guys. I mean the crowd is thinking these are the these are the the pastors these are the ministers these are the, these are the Christian guys okay they're thinking it's the Pharisees the turn and the twist of this parable is no it's the tax collector that goes home justified okay why <laughs> because it's all about nothing that he can do he brings his brokenness to the table okay a tax collector here's what they were known for they were traitors. Because they were in, you know, cahoots with the Romans, and uh, they were Jewish folks that were basically going against their Jewish comrades and extorting more money than they should. And the story of Zacchaeus is about that. Because remember, Zacchaeus was stealing, and he said, "Hey, I'm going to give back four times as much." Well, he was, you know, how much he stole? I don't know. Maybe two or three times as much that he should have. So when you look at this passage, he's broken. He's broken by his sin. He knows his sin. Um, the, look at even the location. The, the passage says that he's outside. Okay, uh, He's standing far off in verse 13. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful. And so, he knows his sin. He knows that he is not righteous. In fact, in the Greek, um, as I was looking at the commentary and also... Tim Keller in that uh, video series that we looked at said this, that in the Greek here, it's not just I am a sinner, like, like this passage says, but it has the definite, definite article where he says, I am the sinner. I am the sinner. That when he comes to God, he sees just himself. And he sees that him before God, he's undone. 
And he is, he's really a dead man because he's gone against the Lord. Um, he can't get close to God on his own. Um, he sees his shame. You know, maybe it has been extorting people's money and stealing. We don't know. It doesn't go into it, but it just says that he, un, he identifies himself as the sinner. And in order to be justified, all of us have to walk this road. We have to come to the Lord and say, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. I don't have any righteousness of my own. When I look at my life, I see a proud person. I see someone who wants to do what I want to do, not what God wants me to do. That if I do keep the law, a lot of times the motives are bad. I want to do it to look good. I want to do it to impress people. Um, that even my best works are like filthy rags, is what Isaiah says. And so, he comes to God with nothing. He comes saying, I am broken. Have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, his prayer, whereas the Pharisees' prayer is all about his accomplishments, his prayer is about nothing he can do. You know, his, his prayer is basically saying, I've blown it. You know, I can't do anything. I am a sinner. Um, he admits that. Um, but in the midst of that, that's where he finds grace. That's where he finds God's justification. And so really, the, uh, you know, how can we be right with God? Well, it, it's, it's about taking the position of a sinner. And that's really just humility. That's just admitting who you are before God. That you can't stand before Him because of your sin. Because you, uh, you've gone against Him. And, you know, the glory of the Gospel is that Jesus loves the brokenhearted. You know, so if you're overwhelmed with your sin and you sense your shame before God, your guilt, that's actually a good place to be in. That's the... That's the best place to be in, even though that's painful at the moment. But that's what it takes to experience His love and grace. To know that that you really, really need a Savior. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't please Him. Um, he loves the brokenhearted. He loves those who are desperate, whose backs are against the wall. He loves the cry of the hungry. He loves the broken, the lost, the desperate. That's who the Holy Spirit comes to. The proud, the wise, the people that have it all together, they don't. They don't see it. They don't need God. Um, And so, like I was talking about before, sexual brokenness is a big part of our lives. Uh, It's a big part of our culture. Um, And... uh, you know the Lord, like if that's you, if you if you're struggling in that area, um, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He brings healing, and He brings His grace and love to whatever you've been through, um, and He will He will help you uh, in that. And it just means coming to Him and and confessing sin and and uh, asking Him to help you with your with your struggles um, and. There's an amazing word as well in this in this little prayer that he prays, and uh, when he says, "Be merciful," 
to me, a sinner, that can also be translated, be propitiated. That's what the Greek says, and let me unpack that a little bit. But basically in the New Testament, Paul used that word in Romans, but it talks about God's anger being turned away. Let me be propitiated. Let thine anger be removed. And this is really all about what the Gospel is. That um, when God is merciful to us, a sinner, what He's doing is instead of, instead of condemning us and judging us for our own sins, what He's doing is He's turning away and He's putting those sins on Jesus. And so on the cross, what you have is Jesus dying for the sins of His people. And instead of Chris Garriott being there taking the hit on the cross like I should for my own sins against a holy God, He takes that away and He puts Jesus there. It's substitution. I should be there. Instead, Jesus goes there for me. And He takes all of God's wrath for my sins. And then, not just He doesn't just make me forgiven okay, and take away my sins, but He gives me all of the righteousness of Jesus. All of Jesus' life, everything good He did is applied to me. Okay, That's what happens in the Gospel. And so that's why He declares us righteous. And that's at the cross. That's where that takes place. And so, if you're struggling with knowing, I wonder if I'm saved, or I wonder if I am justified. How do you know? Well, you know not by examining your feelings and looking inside at your belly button or whatever. You know, or testing your temperature or something like that. You're saved by simply looking at Jesus and what He did on the cross for you. It's outside of yourself. It happened in history. It's objective. It's not subjective inside. It's objective. Jesus died on the cross in time and space for me. And that's why Paul says um, in Galatians, the, the Gospels in personal pronouns, um, he says that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Loved me and gave Himself for me. That's, that's the beauty and the power of the Gospel. That's what it means uh, to be justified. And so, when we, when we understand that, that should, that should change us. It should make us humble people okay, to know that we are the worst of sinners. So there shouldn't be anybody on this campus okay, that we could say, oh, that, that person is like really bad. Okay? We are just as bad. Okay, there shouldn't be anybody down on Route 1 okay, that we are like thinking, like, man, I can't believe those people are down there doing that. Or whatever. We're, we're big sinners. Okay? And the only way that people are going to taste the glory of the Gospel is if we help them understand that we're just like them, but we, we're like a beggar and we found some bread. Okay? We found the bread of the Gospel. And... Just like they struggled with sin, we know the same struggle. Okay, it's only by the grace of God that maybe we don't do some of those things. It's only by the grace of God. And so, Jesus lived that perfect life of obedience and died on the death, the death that we should have had for us so that to make us righteous, to make us justified so that we don't feel sin. Uh, and so, I'm not sure which side of the fence you're on. Maybe... Maybe you're struggling with 
just your self-righteousness. Maybe you're struggling with just being so depressed and shamed because you sense your sin. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Okay? As you go through the week. The Gospel is the answer. What Jesus did is the answer for both of these people. Let me pray. Father, thanks for tonight. Thank You for uh, being able to worship You. Just being able to get together with everybody. Um, enjoy some fellowship. Enjoy some time to look at Your Word. Lord, I pray, Father, if there's anybody in here that's never said, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, this would be a time to really consider that and think about that. And uh, what a glorious thing it is when you when you recognize that and recognize that Jesus died on the cross for you. So I pray that that might, might be true of all of us here. Lord, help us take that good news to other people, not to keep it inside, not to hide it under a lamp or hide it under a, a bushel, as it says in the Gospels, Lord, but to shine the light uh, in everything we do. And so we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Whoops.